Lord, we thank you that you have prepared a place for us. You are our hope, our redeemer, our strong fortress. You are our peace and our comfort and our help in time of need. And just like Jesus, you said, I go and prepare a place for you. If it weren't so, I wouldn't have told you.
Uh, my name is Daniel. I am the lead pastor here. You will not be hearing me flap my gums today. And so uh, I get a break today, uh, this weekend, just to echo what Kate just shared. Uh, we had a really a fantastic time, and I cannot wait to continue to just uh, organize and finalize all the thoughts and the things that we worked through and prayed through. Um, uh, Scott, who I will be introducing here in a minute, um, he was there to kind of be our compass, right? He, he was just kind of aiming us in the direction that Scripture aims a church to be in. And as we, part of Emmanuel Church, considered our church, considered uh, you guys, considered Wilmington, the place where we are located, and we prayed, and, and we kind of filled in those gaps. And um, yes, there's a lot of work to do, but it's really exciting, and I cannot wait in the oncoming weeks and months to uh, continue to reveal and to share with you guys, because all of us are going to be having a part to play. So, in that tune, I can call up Scott. Uh, Scott lives, uh, Scott Ball is his name, he works for the Malfers Group, he lives in Northeast Tennessee, is That's that correct? Right. Yeah. And um, he will be sharing this morning from uh, the book of Nehemiah. So um, can I pray for you? Absolutely. Great. Jesus, thank you for Scott and his investment into our church and just his counsel, his wisdom that he shared. And Lord, we pray in every step of the way that um, all the things that you laid on his heart to help guide us in spirit, we pray that you would be filling each and every step. This morning, I pray that our hearts would be um, at peace, Lord, um, still before you to listen, Lord, that you would uh, open our ears to, to hear what you have to speak through our brother Scott this morning and give us soft hearts ready to uh, allow those seeds to take root into our life. So uh, may he preach powerfully and with great authority this morning. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thank you. Well, good morning. My name is Scott Ball, and uh, I'm the vice president of the Malfurst Group. Briefly about me, I am a born and raised Texan and um, a diehard Dallas Cowboys fan, so I know, yeah. Uh, uh, it's a bad start to the sermon, isn't it? But we're all brothers and sisters in Christ, am I right? Y'all should be happy. We lost on Thursday. It's okay. All right. Um, so uh, now I'm all distracted. But I live now in the hills of East Tennessee with my wife, Allison. We've got two kids. Uh, my, my son, Liam, is turning nine in nine days, and my, my daughter, Nora, is six. Um, I'm coming up on my 17th year in ministry, and this is my sixth year working full-time with the Malfurst Group, traveling all across North America, working with churches to help them, as Daniel was saying, just rediscover health in a biblical way. Um, and so this morning's message is not a, uh, a walkthrough of stri the str strategic envisioning process, which is the process that Emmanuel Church is going through. Uh, instead, I want to be in the Word. Is that all right? Can we do some Bible this morning? Um, so let's pray together, and then we're going to dive into God's Word. Jesus, thank you so much for giving us yourself. Thank you so much for being resurrected from the dead because it shows us that you are in the business of bringing life to things that are dead, that you are always bringing new life. Every morning as the sun rises, as faithful as the sun is to rise, we know that you are faithful to bring a new day, new life. 
We ask this morning that you would open our spiritual eyes and our spiritual ears to see and hear what you would have for us in Scripture. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. In honor of God and his word, will you stand with me while I read our passage for the morning, if you're able? Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good, and also of the words words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant and Geshem the Arab heard of it, they jeered at us and despised us and said, what is this thing that you're doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Then I replied to them, the God of heaven will make us prosper, and we his servants will arise and build, but you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. Amen. You guys can grab a seat. So here's a little bit of context. Uh, it may have been a little while since you've read or studied the book of Nehemiah, but for, uh, so for those of us who might be a little bit rusty, here's the deal. Nehemiah serves as cupbearer to the king, the Persian king Artaxerxes. Now, cupbearer is a, uh, it's a servant position. Uh, it's a highly respected, very important servant position, but it's still a servant position, maybe even a slave position. I mean, I'm just saying, if, if uh, potentially drinking poison is in the job description, I feel like there's a little bit of like you being voluntold into that role um, and not volunteering for it. But uh, Nehemiah is not Persian. He is a Hebrew. And, uh, and so he has this burden for his homeland of Judah and the city of Jerusalem in particular. It lays in ruins at this point. And uh, after it had first withstood attacks from Assyria and from Egypt, it's eventually destroyed by Babylon, uh, totally and completely destroyed by Babylon, and the people then are taken into, uh, into Babylon in exile. But this has happened at this point in the story of, of Nehemiah generations ago. In fact, long enough for the Babylonians to themselves have uh, been conquered by the Persians. And so it's been a long, long time. And yet when Nehemiah hears that things in Jerusalem have not improved much, even under this new Persian regime, he's troubled by this. When he hears about the walls still being in ruins, he's bothered by it. And it's, you have to bear in mind, this is not a new problem. This has been a problem for over a hundred years. But it still breaks his heart, and so he gets this gumption He uh, prays to God, and God gives him the courage to go and speak to the king, Artaxerxes, and uh, he asks for two things. He asks if he can have permission to go and rebuild the walls in Jerusalem, leave his position in the court, go to Jerusalem, rebuild the walls there, and he asks for Persia to pay for it. I mean, it's like he wants to go, and he wants to go to Jerusalem, and he wants to build a wall, a big, beautiful wall, and I'm going to get Persia to pay for it. It's going to be amazing. Is it too soon? Too soon for that? I'm just kidding. But I know, it's funny. I know. But, but in, in all seriousness, that's his request. He says, I, hey, hey, Art, Artie, King, Artie Xerxes, uh, may I, can, I, can I go to Jerusalem? I want to rebuild these walls, and P.S., 
I got, I'm a little broke being uh, a slave here, so do you think maybe you could um, pony up and rebuild the walls? And the king says, yes. yes. Yeah, absolutely. You can do this. He does say, when will you be back? <laughs> uh, there's a requirement for him to come back. But he goes, and he gets permission, he goes, and he gets to Jerusalem, and he starts to do this little tour, a church ministry analysis of sorts. He does a bit of a survey to figure out what's going on. And at this point in the story, what we were just reading, he has not explained to, uh, uh, to, to the people there in Jerusalem what the plan is exactly. They're probably like, what's, what's he doing here? What's going on? And uh, that's where we are when we get to Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 17. So let's start back at the beginning. Then I, Nehemiah, said to them, you see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. All right, stop there. Do you notice how that sentence ends with a period and not a question mark? It's not a question, it's a statement. Listen, when trouble comes in our lives, we have to be honest about it. We have to tell the truth. But we live in an I'm fine society, don't we? Oh, how are you doing? Oh, I'm fine. How's work? Oh, it's great. It's fine. Uh, hey, there's this crazy pandemic going on. How are, you handle, how are you holding up? Oh, we're fine. Kids are going back to school this year in person, and that's crazy and whatever. Oh, no, no, no. It's good. It's good. It's all fine. It's fine. Everything's fine. Not everything can always be fine all the time. When trouble comes, when distress comes, when crisis comes, we have to tell the truth. Have you ever noticed how human beings can be surrounded by dysfunction and survive in it for a long time, so long as there's some amount of creature comfort that surrounds us? Back in the olden days, we used to, before streaming was a thing, we used to, like, click-through channels. Anybody remember that? Yeah, you didn't know what was on. You had to click through to find out what was on. So back in the day, I used to click through channels, and occasionally I'd come across that show, Hoarders. Anybody seen Hoarders? Yeah. Now, I'm not going to make fun of those folks because we all, my, this is my point, we all have something going on, right? But the amazing thing about Hoarders, as I watch that show, and it's so mind-bending and difficult for me personally to understand, is that, that, that all the stuff starts to pile up in the room, in every single room, except you'll notice, without fail, every single time, there's always a little path. There's a little path through the rooms to, to maybe a chair or a part of a bed or something like that, where that is cleared off, and there's a clean line of sight to the television. So, so long as if there's some pocket of normalcy in a mountain of dysfunction, they're all right. But I would contend that's all of us. And not only that, I would contend that like the, the folks in Hoarder who tragically have a codependent relationship with their dysfunction, I think we do too. Do we ever let the things that are around us that hurt us and harm us and are not okay, we need it. We have this unhealthy relationship with it. And I love what Nehemiah does here. He's like, we have to name this thing. We can't pretend like this isn't around us anymore. You have to name it, you have to own it. And it's only then that you can really begin to move forward. So it's a declarative statement from Nehemiah. You see the trouble, you see the ruins. Now he says, let's keep going in 
verse 17. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. Keep going, verse 18. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good and also of the words of the king, of the words that the king had spoken to me. Following Jesus into the vision that he has for you is not a blind trust. I want you to know that. It's not. It's faith, but it's not foolish. God's calling and his provision are one and the same. It does not mean that following God's call uh, will always be easy. Just ask the Apostle Paul, shipwrecked a few times, bitten by a snake, things were not always great. But God's sufficient provision will always be available to you in the place where he calls you, always. You can count on that. He gives you just what you need in the moment that you need it every time. Psalm 37, 25 says, I have been young and now I'm old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. This written by a man who once had to hide in a cave for his life, right? His point is not that you'll always have everything you could ever possibly want, but that you will always have exactly what you need, even if that provision is simply an unnatural hope in an incredibly dark place. It's the provision that you need for the moment that you're in. And this is what Nehemiah is saying to the people. He's telling them, guys, this isn't just my idea. This isn't just some harebrained thing that the cupbearer to the king had. No, 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 this is, this is God doing this thing. Look, I can prove it to you. I asked the king for permission to build the wall, and he said yes. And I also asked for him to pay for it, and he said yes to that too. What evidences of God's hand on your life do you see? That job that you have, do you think you have it because you earned it? Because you went to school? Because of all the effort you put in? I don't want to minimize anybody's effort, but the job you have or the retirement the income that you have, you have it because it's a gift from God. You think for one second that that can't be gone tomorrow? I can. If there's anything we've learned in the last 18 months, it's that. Health? You have it? It's a gift. We all know how fragile all this can be. You might be thinking, but I haven't had a Nehemiah moment like this. Sure, I got a job and I'm relatively healthy right now, or I have my retirement and I'm relatively healthy right now. That, that's, not, that's not like getting permission to build a a city wall, like some big project, and it's being funded, and all this stuff. Like, you can't compare those things, are not even in the same universe. Okay, fine. But more is given according to your faith. If you're believing God for little, why would you expect Him to do anything more? It certainly isn't that God isn't able to do more. Ephesians 3.20 tells us that He is able to do far more abundantly than all we can ask or think according to the power at work within us. Listen, I'm not saying that if you only pray hard enough or believe hard enough that you're gonna, you know, your, your bank of cards always gonna be full and you're gonna have a brand new Tesla show up in front of your house tomorrow. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that God is calling you to be an agent of restoration in this church, in your life, in your community, in your family, and he will give you every single thing that you need in order to make that happen. And if God's hand is on you, then he is calling you to do something. And not just the plural you, or what we would say in Tennessee, all y'all, but you, you in particular. He's calling you to do something. 
Let's see what the response of the people is. Verse 18, they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. Friends, if the hand of God is on you for good, you must strengthen your hands to do the good work. I don't think you heard me. If the hand of God is on your life, you must strengthen your hands to do the good work. You are without an excuse. The people of Jerusalem were without excuse. All their reasons for why they hadn't rebuilt were gone. They couldn't blame it on politics. They couldn't blame it on money. They couldn't blame it on other people. They had named their trouble, and Nehemiah had named their trouble, and they acknowledged that the hand of God was on them, and so they strengthened their hands, and they knew it was time to get to work. One of my favorite passages comes from this same post-exile area, although it happened several decades earlier uh, to the story in Nehemiah. I shared this with the strategic leadership team over this weekend. It comes from uh, the book of Haggai, chapter 2, verse 4. It says, work for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. What a simple message, but a profound one. The Lord is trying to break through all of our excuses and the reasons and the distractions. He says, I am the Lord of hosts. You might not know how time bends or what happens inside the event horizon of a black hole. You may not be able to see a quark or even perceive the entire spectrum of light, but he's saying, I can, and not only do I see it, I control all of it. Don't you remember that when Joshua needed a minute, I gave him a minute. I bent the rules of time and space so that he could do the thing that I had put in front of him to do. I had delivered that enemy into his hands, and he knew it, but he needed a minute, and I gave it to him. Don't you know he will give you everything that you need, but you have to work. You have to. I don't know each of you. I don't know your story. I don't know what God is calling all of you to do. I don't know what all the broken walls are in your life, but I know of one. It's the reason I was invited here. The truth is that there's a lot of brokenness in this place, right? There's fear. There's loss. More than a little tiredness. And it's easy to point fingers, blame this person, that person, who's here or not here anymore, this group, that group, this moment, it doesn't matter. What matters now is today and the vision for what's ahead. God has given you everything you need to build a new future, a better one. And his hand is on you, his hand is on this place. The only question is, do you see his hand and are you willing to strengthen your hands to do the good work? What does that look like? It's gonna be different for everyone. The strategy for rebuilding the wall in Jerusalem was profoundly simple. I love it so much. Nehemiah comes up with this genius plan. He asks everybody to simply rebuild the part of the wall that is outside where they live. That's it. You know the little bit of broken wall that's right outside your house? That's your responsibility. And so they did. Now, some people had a little bit more complicated work. They had to rebuild a gate or they had to rebuild a tower or whatever. But for the most part, it was just, hey, go rebuild the part of the wall that's right outside where you work or where you live. And that's really what God's calling you to do. Just the simple things. What's right in front of you? 
Perhaps it's simply as, uh, as simple as, as being a positive voice moving forward. Perhaps you volunteer in a particular ministry area or ministry team, or um, we have these uh, projects coming up. We selected five. You'll be hearing more about those in the days ahead, but we have implementation teams that are going to be working on those, and so perhaps you'll be part of an implementation team and really getting to do some actual really, really important work that's going to shape the future of this church. I don't know. Everybody's going to have a different role to play, but I can tell you this. It's going to take everyone. The only question is, will you do it? Now, there's one more part to this passage I don't want to skip over because it really matters. Verse 19. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant and Geshem the Arab heard of it, they jeered at us and despised us and said, what is this thing that you're doing? Are you rebelling against the king? When you decide to strengthen your hands to do the good work, there's going to be opposition to that. There are going to be enemies to your success. And notice what they say. They say, are you rebelling against the king? Listen, if they had just heard the story of what was happening and how God's hand was on them and what the king had said to him, then they already knew that the king supported this effort. What they were doing was they were attacking his motives. It's really easy to ignore people who maybe disagree with, like, the actual way that you're doing something. You know, oh, I, I wouldn't have picked green. I would have picked blue. I mean, you can be like, okay, whatever. I don't really care what you think, right? But when someone attacks your motives, that's a different story. Now, um, I'm a real human with real flaws, and uh, the, the shortest distance between a nice evening and a miserable one in my house is when one, either me or my wife, uh, question one another's motives. Um, this summer, we were going on uh, vacation, and um, we needed to pack uh, swimsuits. And in the process of packing, we realized that we did not have the swimsuits. We had gone on like a really short two-day overnight thing in the spring and uh, had taken bathing suits for that, and somehow those bathing suits never quite made it home. And so there was more than a little bit of finger-pointing as to whose fault it was exactly uh, that those uh, bathing suits didn't make it home. And all I got to say is it really wasn't about the bathing suits. I just felt very attacked. It felt very personal. We, it, we, we somehow went from we're missing bathing suits to like you always do this. You are, I don't want to, I can't even talk about it. It's just going to, it's triggering. Um, but, uh, you know, <laughs> I'm, am I the only one to, nope, okay, yep, uh, all right. When motives get attacked, things get sour real fast. And what's happening here, it's not a silly argument about bathing suits. It's real serious. So we have to understand that some people will attack the future of this church, not innocently, but with malice. There will be some within the walls of this church who will do that, and there will be some outside the church who will not have their eyes on Jesus, and they will attack your motives. First, let me say, don't be that guy. 
Don't be the negative voice doubting every turn, every decision, attacking the motivations of the people who just spent, let me tell you, an entire weekend praying, weeping, seeking the Lord. I can promise you right now everyone's motivations were exactly in the right place. So don't be the guy that's doubting all that. Secondly, if you're one of the folks who is strengthening your hands for the work, don't listen to those voices. Let's see how Nehemiah deals with it. Verse 20. He says, Then I replied to them, The God of heaven will make us prosper, and we his servants will arise and build, but you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. Yikes. That's a gutsy statement. You have no portion nor right no claim in Jerusalem. Now, I want to be clear. There is such a thing as healthy criticism, okay? Healthy criticism aims to build up, to help, to see a better way forward. Unhealthy criticism is selfish, seeks its own thing, and seeks to tear others down. And we want to be like Nehemiah and inspiring the people to, to strengthen their hands for the work. That's our goal. But you cannot win over a destructive critic. There was no winning over Sanballat, right, there, that, and, and Tobiah. That, that was not in the cards. It's like trying to convince a pirate to join your crew. It ain't happening. They're pirates. If you try to win pirates over, you will lose. It's like embedding a stick of dynamite into every brick you lay as you rebuild the wall. So listen, friends, God is calling you to be a repairer of broken walls. He is in your home, in your marriage, your relationships with your kids, in your work, even with that boss who might be a jerk. God's calling you to be a repairer of broken walls. In this church, he's calling you to be a repairer of broken walls. God is calling you to be a repairer of broken things because that's what God's business is. That's what he does. It's in your spiritual DNA. Now, if you don't remember how the wall wall building project ends, let me remind you. Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 15. It says, So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of Elul in 52 days. 52 A wall that no one managed to rebuild in over a hundred years was completed by unskilled laborers in 52 days while under direct opposition and persecution. Do not think for one moment that things that seem hopeless are truly hopeless. Do not think for one moment that you are too young, too old, too poor, too unqualified, We can solve generational problems in 52 days if the Bible is true. God can do anything, but he needs you to work. Let me rephrase that. God can do anything, and he is inviting you into the work. What a privilege. I shared this verse also with the strategic leadership team this weekend. Isaiah 43, 18 and 19, it says, Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? 
I'll make a way in the wilderness, rivers in the desert. I love this verse so much. I explained this to the strategic leadership team why I love it. In the preceding verses above this, um, God is reminding them of how he once uh, parted the Red Sea for them, and, uh, and, he, and, he, and he made a way for them at the Red Sea. And so we have this tendency as human beings, especially in a place like this that has such a rich history, we want to stand on the shores of the Red Sea and wait for God to do that thing again. Do it again, God. Do it again. Do it again. Do it again. And we're standing there at the edge of the Red Sea waiting God, for God to do something that he has done in the past. But you see here in Isaiah 43, he says, no, 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 no. My mission doesn't change. My character doesn't change. None of that changes. But how I act in the world does change. He says, remember not the former things nor consider the things of old. Behold, I'm doing a new thing. He says, I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. If you are standing there waiting for him to make a wet place dry, you're missing it because now he's in the business of making dry places wet. Don't miss the thing he wants to do in the future because you expect him to move in the same way he did in the past. And so, We can strengthen our hands for the good work, and we can expect him to move in unexpected ways. God wants to do a new thing in you. I want to close today by reading a passage over you as a prayer, also from the book of Isaiah. It says this, and the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. And you will be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. And your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called repairer of broken walls, the restorer of streets to dwell in. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Let's rise to our feet. The splendor of the King Clothed in majesty Let all the earth rejoice All the earth rejoice He wraps himself in tries to hide and trembles at his voice trembles at his voice how great is our God sing with me how great is our God and all will see how great
sings my soul, my Savior God, to Thee. How great Thy 